1: Hey,
2: my friends, welcome to the Main Street Vegan Show. I'm really tired. We just finished Main Street Vegan Academy course number 15. Ta-da! I'm just back from graduation luncheon at Candle Cafe West. And guess who was there? David Duchovny and Ben Stiller. Isn't that fun? There are lots of cool people eating vegan, and we just had the best time. It was a beautiful group. Congratulations to class number 15 graduates going out into the world doing all sorts of amazing things. I feel so blessed. I also feel like I haven't slept in nine days, but that's all right. As I always say, we can sleep later, later after this life. So today we're doing something different We've talked a lot about food on this show. We're not a cooking show or a foodie show, really, but food is a big part of being vegan. So we've talked about all different kinds of health-promoting ways to um, work one's diet. We've talked about different sorts of cooking techniques and methods, lots and lots of cookbook authors, lots of delicious conversations. Today we're going to be talking about something different. We're going to be talking about abstaining from food. We're going to be talking about fasting. Now, there was a time if you were a vegan, you knew all about fasting because we talked a lot about Mahatma Gandhi. He fasted for political reasons. We knew of people who fasted for spiritual reasons. And pretty much at one time, if you were a vegan and you got sick, you'd go to a fasting institute. Because why would you want to go to a hospital or go take medical drugs that had been tested on animals? You would go fast first. But that's kind of fallen out of, of the knowledge of most people. And I'm very honored today to have a couple of experts on the subject. After the break, I will be bringing on Dr. Frank Sabatino, who will talk about water fasting for Health and Healing. And right now, I am bringing back somebody that you guys loved when she was on January 13, 2016. If you didn't hear her then, you can go back and listen to that podcast as well. And she is Isosa E. Her fabulous blog is rawgirltoxicworld.com. She's the author of books including The Acne-Free Diet and Got Veg, How to Thrive on a Plant-Based Diet. She's also an actress who's filming an African city over there in Ghana. I think that's where she's calling us from today. I don't know. She's all over the world and taking a little bit of time this afternoon to uh, check in with us and talk with us about fasting, not for health and healing, but for spiritual reasons. Welcome, Isosa. Hi, Victoria. Thank you. Well, it's really, really lovely to hear you. So we know you as an expert on health and alternative health and natural healing and raw food. This is what you write about. But you're also a very committed Christian. Tell us about that.
3: Yes, I was, um, I mean, I was raised Christian. Both of my parents, um, are in the ministry. My dad uh, founded a global church and my mother is now a bona fide, uh, preacher herself and she's getting a doctor in divinity. But I had my own kind of journey where I questioned the Christian faith and then came back around to it very, very strong. And, um, part of my personal journey, like in terms of faith has led me to the practice of regular fasting and prayer, which has sort of revolutionized, like, my prayer life, and it also just changed my entire life and my approach to problem-solving, I guess. I just never really knew that much about it, and then once I've become equipped with it, it's become sort of um, a regular aspect of my life, and I share it with a lot of people now.
2: So how did you come to this? A lot of people go to church, and they've never missed a meal.
3: Yes, um... You know, I think it's. Uh, I think the first type of fasting that I started with, I remember, because I've done a lot of fasts for nutritional reasons, which are completely different. Um, I would say the key difference between just being like, okay, I want to do a quote unquote detox, you know what I mean, where you're doing fasting, you're abstaining from, is that not only am I abstaining from food, but I'm I am replacing the time that I would have spent um, eating with also prayer and worship and reading. Bible verses, reading sacred texts, listening to sermons. So it's also sort of like replacing uh, physical food with spiritual food. So you're finding ways and you're, and you're abstaining from other things that could distract you from that. So for me, I remember being in church one uh, weekend and the pastor saying that for some people, food is not a big deal. That, like, you know, what would you do if you had to go without your Twitter and your Facebook or something, you know, for 24 to 48 hours, and I literally, like, gasped out loud and felt like everyone was staring at me, and I was like, wait a minute, I have a problem. Like, I'm on social media all the time, and I started doing these social media fasts, which... Um, I, I, I do that in tandem sometimes with doing, um, abstaining from food just because for me, social media is such a huge part of what distracts me in my daily life. And so I find that when I take that out and I'm also focusing on prayer and, and, um, and not eating, then I'm able to more deeply listen to what, um, what God has to say. And then also just focusing on, on getting closer to him.
2: That is so interesting. I love the idea of fasting from distraction because even Mm -hmm. when we resent the distraction, we still Mm -hmm. are drawn to it. Fascinating. So I, right. I know that at least in in one place in in the New Testament, Matthew seventeen twenty one, Jesus is dealing with someone who the Bible says is possessed with a demon, and we'd say now probably has yeah. some sort of mental disorder, and and Jesus says. This kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. And I remember yeah. coming upon that as a little girl and thinking, Oh no, I hope I never get that because I don't want to not right. eat. <laughs> so what, what, right. what does fasting do for one in a
3: spiritual way? In a spiritual way, fasting um, can strengthen your prayers. And I think that's kind of what he was saying this kind comes out. It's some, there's something about fasting that it's almost like if you were throwing a punch, it's like it would accelerate the punch and it would direct the punch to exactly where it needs to go. There's something about it that um, you can use fasting not only to strengthen your prayers, but you can use it for guidance. You can use it um, for just repentance, Is this, this humility. It, it creates a, a feeling of it – it makes you more humble and makes you more receptive to receiving. Um, so, so, yeah, it, it's very much a strengthening thing. And I think a lot of people kind of – if they pray and they don't receive, it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to stop now. But fasting is that thing that sort of, like, presses in deeper – and, and you'll be surprised. Um, not, it's, it should never be done necessarily to, okay, I'm going to fast in order to get this X, Y, and Z result from God. It really actually, instead of fasting sort of twisting God's arm, what it does is it changes us. It changes our hearts, and it changes, it changes our receptivity, and it changes our focus. Because instead of us focusing on the problem, we start focusing on God, and then God is able to actually move and do something for us.
2: That's utterly fascinating. If, if you are listening and you're hearing Isosa cut out here and there, it's because she is calling from Africa. We were trying to get the Skype to work, but the Wi-Fi is iffy there, so she is on a phone, and I apologize for anything you don't hear. I'll put as much as I can in, in the show notes. So when somebody is going to fast for health reasons, you know, there are whole list of, like, conditions. You don't want to do it if you're pregnant or breastfeeding or anorexic or diabetic. And so you want to kind of rest and get in a situation that's conducive to healing, maybe go off to a fasting institution. But if you're going to fast just for a short time for some sort of spiritual purpose,
3: what's the preparation for that? How do you do it? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I think it can be different for everybody because one thing that people um, get a little daunted by when they start fasting for spiritual reasons is they feel like they have to go all crazy and do like a water fast like Jesus did or something, and it's really not that deep. Like it's really about God will meet you wherever you show up, meaning if you feel like I can only do a partial fast, um, for instance, if you're a meat eater and you decide to do a Daniel fast, which I know a lot of churches do that, where people actually become vegans for a short period of time, and for them, that's fasting. Um, if you're already vegan and you want to do a raw fast, that's fasting. If you want to say, I want to not do a morning meal or the first two meals, and I stop, it's just about you. Said, so you just need to figure out what your parameters are. When am I going to give up? Make sure that it's actually something that actually costs you something or something, you know what I mean, something that actually feels like a sacrifice because it's all about sacrificing something. Um, So you want to figure out those. You want to figure out how long you want to do it. You can also, like, sort of pray for guidance about that. And then you want to limit your activity and also figure out, make preparations in terms of, like, what time in the day am I going to do the devotion, or when am I going to take time out to pray if i'm if i 'm working and i 'm fasting that day, maybe on my lunch break I like you know steal away in a corner and i 'm reading verses or i 'm listening to a specific sermon can um for me, it helps a lot Thank God for youtube um, it helps a lot to there's so many testimonies on YouTube, and that 's so strengthening when you're in the middle of a fast and you're, like, you know, listening to a testimony or, or listening to a sermon and it's just like, oh, wow, that this actually gives me more fuel to continue the fast if I felt, if I felt weak or if I felt like I wanted to stop. Um, so it's really just about getting yourself in the mindset. It's less about that. And then, you know, the Bible also talks about um, when you fast, don't, do, don't look as the hypocrites do This is Matthew 6, um, 16 to 8 because um, they disfigure their faces to show that they're fasting, and that um, I tell you they have their reward in full. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so it will not be obvious to men, um, but only to your father who will, basically your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So it's about, like, don't be broadcasting it. Don't be telling people. It's it's something that you should be doing not to appear pious or appear religious or appear, it's, it's, it's a secret thing you do to press into God in order to um, to have your prayer strengthened and hear from him, maybe receive guidance or receive some sort of blessing or healing.
2: Well, this is all so interesting. I know it was probably a year and a half or so ago. I can't remember what was going on in the world. Maybe it had to do with climate change, but the Vatican put out a call to Roman Catholics to fast on a particular day, but I remember there yeah. was a caveat that said, and, and if you can't really fast, then just don't eat between meals. And for people who don't eat between <laughs> meals anyway, it was sort of like, wow. <laughs> you know, really? Right. Kind of lost right. something there, but I think it, it's true. Anything that you can do that's a little outside the ordinary, it kind of shifts your spirit. I know. Once I was at a fasting institute for you know health kind of fasting, and I'd been at it a long time. It was probably about the twentieth day. Not anything that you would ever want to do uh, at home on just water. So I was being medically supervised, but I was lying out okay. on a deck chair there on the. Bay in St. Petersburg, and I remember feeling so profoundly supported by spirit. I hadn't had mm-hmm. any food in 20 days, and I know physiologically I was being sustained by stores of my own fat and all that, but in a spiritual mm-hmm. way, the, the words to that old hymn of resting in the everlasting arms i got that i just knew i was resting in the everlasting arms do you have any cool fasting story to share
3: oh man um i've had so many crazy amazing experiences i don't even really know where to begin um i've had wow well, i mean I've, i mean i've had literally had um times where i was fasting for healing from um, fasting and praying for healing for for an injury and literally had gone for prayer. And the same evening, I walked into a church with a sprained um, ankle and walked out walking normal. I had never experienced anything like that in my entire life. Um, I've had... I've had situations where I was praying for provision or praying for um, stuff related to career or business, and literally the minute that I decided to stop fasting, someone would call me about that exact thing. It was so freaky sometimes because it was like, "How is this happening <laughs> like, it's, so, um, it's It's a really, really remarkable thing um, in that I haven't it's one of those things that just feels like how it's still there's still so much wonder about it for me um, that, but I also, I guess, in all of my experiences praying, fasting, and having the prayers be heard, and stuff like this, I always wonder why Christians are not fasting more, um, as throughout the Bible, there's so many people fasting for various reasons, when they're in trouble, when they're not, um, but I just feel like it's something that we need to get back to as Christians because it's a powerful thing that's just not being utilized. And like you said, most people are used to only not eating between meals. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like anything, any other form of sacrifice because we're so used to that instant gratification and the fast food and the fast fastest, like we can't take a moment to be alone with our thoughts and be alone with God. And it's, it's so important.
2: I almost wonder if more people were doing it then because they weren't eating such addictive food. They ate very simple food. I mean, we read, you know, they had bread and vegetables. They had a little bit of meat and fish. But it wasn't all this super fancy, piled-on sauces kind of food. And, you know, if you're just eating really basic food, it's not so hard to maybe not eat for a while. (laughs) But what you've got... Right.
3: And also, they were probably used to not eating for a while. Like, we're really spoiled in terms of, like, you know, our fridges are full. It's like you know. It's not like we have to go find something when it's time to eat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's like there's an over. There we have so much at our disposal, and that's also that also I think makes it harder. Yeah. Well, I mean, whereas I'm, I feel I'm, like abstaining was probably a normal part of yeah daily life.
2: Is is there a book? Is there a book you could recommend about spiritual fasting?
3: Hmm. Um, I know there's some I've out read, there. Right? Yeah, I haven't read anything really – the books that I – I'm trying to think. There's a few books that I've read by, um, by um, like, ministers, pastors, and I can't remember his name. He's actually a really well-known guy, and he has a lot of books on fasting. I, the other books that I've read that are more vegan-inclined, I read one on spiritual fasting um, via Gabriel Cousins. And that was oh, actually real a pretty cousins. decent book as well.
2: And he's he's a he's a, a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, as well as a medical doctor. Yeah, fascinating. And guy. he also
3: speaks about fasting in terms of like yogic energy and in, in increasing kundalini energy and all of that stuff, which is really interesting. It's um, it's so tr-
2: it's universal. It comes from uh, all the ancient wisdom traditions. And yeah. I'm happy that we're letting more people know about it today. Isosa, bless you in all your work and your wonderful acting and writing and creativity. Um, give a call when you're back on this continent and we'll go drink some juice. I will. Okay. All the best. <laughs> Thank you so very much. Everybody else, please stay with us and we'll be back with Dr. Frank Sabatino who's just opened the coolest place in Florida. If you want to go fast or eat some healthy food or do a little bit of both, stay with us. We'll find out all about that.
1: Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at Main vegan at Unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan.
2: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Main Street Vegan Show. If you want to find out more about us, you can go to Main Streetvegan.net. And there are just all kinds of tabs you can click on, click on podcast, listen to our wonderful back episodes. You can hear both of today's guests on earlier programs. Uh, you can also uh, click on podcast and you'll see a little drop box and it'll say show notes. And that's where I will put all the URLs and ways that you can reach today's guests and you can see that same information going back a ways. Uh, There's also a blog. We've got a feature film in the works. We have an academy that trains vegan lifestyle coaches. So just come to MainStreetVegan.net and look around and see what we might be able to do for you. It is my pleasure right now to welcome a man whom I trust implicitly on all matters of health. This is Dr. Frank Sabatino. He is health director of the brand new, about to open Ocean Jade Health Retreat in Lauderdale by the Sea, Florida. He is a chiropractic physician and he holds a PhD in neuroendocrinology from Emory University School of Medicine. And Dr. Sabatino has been living and counseling people in a vegan way of life for almost 40 years. He is also a member of the International Association of Hygienic Physicians and is an expert in therapeutic water-only fasting. Welcome, Dr. Frank.
4: Hi, hello. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's always uh a... A pleasure to speak with you and to share information with your listeners.
2: Oh, thank you. And just to hear your voice makes me feel healthier. You really uh, walk the talk. So I was saying at the beginning, Dr. Frank, that when I first became vegetarian and, and later vegan, everybody knew about fasting. We read Dr. Shelton's book, Fasting Can Save Your Life. There was a lot of medical information on fasting coming out of the former Soviet Union. It was something that was very, very well known in the community of vegetarians, etc., And now people say, what? You cannot eat anything for like a week? Yeah. What happened? Why did we lose fasting?
4: Well Yeah, it's a funny thing. Uh, you know, like you said, I was fasting people when fasting wasn't cool, like that old country song. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is uh, I think what happened is there was a lot of misinformation, you know, from the standpoint of the medical profession, And um, they equated fasting with starvation, which is a huge mistake, and they lost uh, any inkling of the power of what this could do. And I think people kind of got wayward with it, got turned off to it. But what's interesting is it circled back, and now there's a much greater interest internationally, all over the world, and there is some startling research coming out about fasting that's putting it back in the forefront.
2: Wonderful. Now, I know that for many years, there was only one water fasting institute left in the United States, True North Health in Santa Rosa, California, and we had uh, Dr. Goldhammer and Dr. Clapper on, on the show a couple of years back. Now, you're going to be opening Ocean Jade Health Retreat um, in South Florida. Are those really the only places in, on this continent for people to go who want to do a supervised water fast?
4: Yeah, previously, uh, when I worked at the Regency for about 25 years, we directed the Regency Health Spa. We were water fasting people there, but it was much fewer and farther between, for sure. But the Ocean Jade Health Retreat will definitely be one of only two uh, institutions in the United States to go for really well supervised water only fasting. And part of that has to do with the fact that. The backing for Ocean Jade is actually the trust that was left in place by Dr. DJ Scott, who was one of the most famous of all the fasting physicians in the United States. And when he passed away, he wanted his work to go forward and he ran a fasting institution for about 50 years. And so he is his, his trust is actually the financial backing for Ocean Jade Health Retreat.
2: Oh, that's wonderful. That That's real immortality on Earth. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so- I,
4: I did my apprenticeship with him in fasting. You know, all the hygienic doctors had to do some special extra training in fasting, and I actually wound up being with him. So it's come full circle. I, doing an apprenticeship with him in the 70s, now in the 2000s, his trust being able to back what I do going forward, which is really an interesting circle.
2: Oh, that's thrilling. So start from the very beginning because yeah. I have a feeling that almost everybody who's listening probably knows about juice fasting I think most people have seen um, fat sick and nearly dead we know about drinking juice for extended periods water not so much right. so tell us why anybody would want to do this
4: well you know the the the, the main line the old hygienic thinkings uh, you know as a foundation, really does not see juice dieting truly as a true fast. Because when you're doing juices or either green smoothies, which all have value, by the way, you're still taking in carbohydrate. And when you do, it does not put the body into the physiological state that water-only fasting does. So the unique state that is achieved when people stop all intake of food, all calorie intake of any kind, triggers a set of physiological responses that is unique only to fasting. And because of that, it moves the body from a kind of growth and reproductive mode into a truly, a a true state of, if you will, maintenance and protection. And there is no other dietary restriction program that will really do it the same way. So when you're in that mode, there are many things that can occur in terms of detoxification, healing, and repair that are unique only to the water fasting state.
2: So can a person just do it, just decide, okay, tomorrow I'm going to not eat and I'm going to go to work and go to the gym and do everything I always do?
4: Well, that's a good piece because what happens is the fasting state is very akin in many ways to the sleeping state. So it's really a resting state. So we don't advocate that you do a lot of energy output or participate in a lot of energy output when you're really deciding to go into a fasting state. So in any of the fasting institutions, any of the doctors that supervise this will always encourage absolute rest. doesn't mean that it has to be bed rest, but it has to be committing to taking that time where you stop all outward activity and you do a lot more inward activity, just supporting the body's ability to heal and repair, because energy can't be everywhere at the same time. So if you're utilizing an energy conservation state like fasting, you want that energy that normally would be tied up in procuring and digesting food now made available for the work of detoxification and healing. And when you understand that process and you support it by you know, many levels of physical, physiological, emotional rest, you get the most out of that state.
2: So many people would say, oh, but we know when when you rest for too long, if you've been ill or whatever, you lose all this muscle tone and you lose bone density and that's just a terrible thing to do. What do you say to them?
4: Well, you know, we're a culture that, you know, a couple of things. Number one, we're a culture that has gotten so uh, frantic and hectic that the idea of stopping all of that chatter, all of that, you know, uh, chaos is almost a frightening thought because in fasting, you wind up spending a lot of time within and with yourself. And that's not something that's that common anymore in our culture. And the fact of the matter is, uh, in that resting state, we see actually a very little loss of protein muscle mass if you do it in a resting state. If you tend to be more active without any calorie intake, you will definitely create more of a a crisis in terms of protein loss and all of that. But under resting conditions, even in a seven-day fast, you're losing just a few ounces of muscle mass, actually, even across a fast of uh, five to seven days. So really the, the fears are grounded on the idea, number one, that, We don't like, we don't see any way that we could feasibly rest in this hectic culture. And number two, the idea of even missing one meal is so abhorrent in a culture that is so addicted to food on so many levels that it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit frightening for most people to even think about.
2: Well, it's certainly a cultural, but I know that it's also what can put the body in the absolute best state. For healing, I have known people personally over the years who have overcome uh, rheumatoid and osteoarthritis, um, irritable bowel, colitis, Crohn's, diabetes, pre-diabetes, asthma. And I know this sounds like snake oil. And yet I've known these people over a period of years. They didn't just go off and think something happened to them and a month later they were back. These are people who are really living a different life because they fasted and then they changed some of their other habits. So who's a candidate for fasting? What kind of conditions really take to this?
4: Yeah, I think the first thing to address is the fact that fasting is not treating disease. And I think that's a really important piece because... Um, we we live in a culture where we deal with the with disease as an entity. It's a kind of philosophical framework that is really counter to the hygienic philosophy, as seeing disease as something more of a process that is involved with the body trying to regain equilibrium and, and homeostasis. So most people are, are are capable of doing some fast, even if it, uh, depending on length of time, shorter or longer. There are people, for example, if you have diabetic uh, pregnant women or nursing mothers or someone who is really emaciated or dealing with eating disorders like anorexia and they're already wasting, or they have some metabolic disorder like a type 1 diabetic state, they, they may not be true candidates for fasting. And actually, people that have a lot of fear of fasting are not true candidates. So some of those physiological conditions would not make them great candidates, especially the fear component. But as a rule, fasting is a, is a kind of an evolutionary process that man and, and all other species have been involved with and have participated in for eons of time. If you look at any animal that may live in your home, if they have any kind of uh, distress or disease, the first thing they'll do is stop the intake of food. They'll go into a quiet space, they'll drink a little bit of water, they'll get real quiet, and they stop all intake of food. It's a natural inclination even for humans. But again, as I said, the idea for most humans of even missing one meal in a In an overfed society like ours, is such an abhorrent notion. So once you get over the idea that this is some foreign process and see it as more of a natural process that allows the body to conserve energy and promote restoration, regeneration, and healing, most people can participate. The only problem is, is that one thing that happens with fasting is the body becomes very adept at going through a process of elimination and detoxification so it starts using all of the organs and tissues and parts of the body in that work and when that happens there can be a range of symptoms ranging from all kinds of discharge diarrhea headache uh, fever you know boils cysts all kinds of eliminative functions and if you're not cool with that if you if you're afraid of what can come up this may be, you know, counter to the benefit for you. That's why I think for most people that have any kind of history or disease that they're trying to solve, it is far better to be in an institution with a physician that has been supervising fast for many years so they can kind of do some hand-holding and lead people through that process.
2: Oh, absolutely. I remember some of those uh, (laughs) times. I haven't done water fasting in many years. It's probably been... I think the last time was about 15 years ago. But when I was young and I was really overweight, I did it quite a bit to lose weight. I didn't find it a great way to keep weight off because, I mean, certainly I lost weight, but I usually gain more back than I lost. And yet I did have some amazing kinds of Healing crisis or cleansing experiences, like what you're talking about, in in one case it had to do with with tasting some drugs that I had taken as a child. I right. mean, I remembered these drugs, and they were coming out through my tongue and through my skin, and. I mean, who talks about this? You know, your medical doctor doesn't talk about
4: this. They don't don't really know about it. I mean, we've had people that have been on fast, and they'll taste an anesthesia from a surgery 20 years before that fast. So you get an idea of how things can be stored in the fat tissue and the storage tissues of the body. So, you know, that's a, a really important piece. But understand, if you look at fasting as more of a stepping stone, rather than an endpoint, I think it's a better way to go because fasting is not one of the biological requirements of life. It's not food. It's not fresh air. It's not sunshine. It's not sleep and, and all of the emotional poise. It's not those things, but it's a vehicle by which you can start to make changes in your life to adopt those things more successfully into your life. So in fast, we see people break addictions. We see people get Some benefits sometimes in the fast, but then it triggers them wanting to make healthier lifestyle choices, which they're going to be doing 99% of their time and maybe fasting 1%.
2: So if someone is listening now who is dealing with some sort of health condition, not one of those caveat things that you mentioned, but some other kind of chronic condition, I know you can read a lot of books about going on a plant-based diet and, and doing some other things that can really help, certainly heart disease, uh, lots of other things. What what kind of person ought to be really thinking about maybe looking at fasting? Um,
4: I think... Anybody who wants a profound, reasonable alternative to conventional approaches that maybe they have had some trouble with or have not provided them with the success that they were looking for, uh, rather than giving up hope in in, in, in that, that there's something out there that can help them, they need to see fasting as a more fundamental standard of care. And that's been a problem in our culture because it's not been integrated into our consciousness that way. And that's why places like uh, True North and My Place, as we bring this data out more and more and we publish these data, the hope is that fasting as a very simple, natural, constructive, regenerative process will become more of a routine standard of care. So I think right now they would need to, you know, maybe counsel with someone who does this kind of work, get some constructive input, whether this looks like a valuable and viable alternative for what they're trying to, you know, be successful with and then move in that direction. But I think anybody who is dealing with any health crisis should not overlook the possibility of a therapeutic water-only fast. I think it, it could be the difference between dramatic success and a sense of hopelessness.
2: So how long? Are we talking a week, a month, the the biblical 40 days? <laughs> what <laughs> are we looking one, at?
4: thing you said, because I used to have people sometimes that would call and say, you know, I want to fast 40 days. And I'd say, why do you want to do that? Because Jesus did it. And I'd say, well, i got a good doctor out in California I can refer you to. <laughs> Bottom line is the fasting length is really going to depend on the age of the person, the health history. So we do a very comprehensive history on people when they come into fast. You know, we'll fight the elderly person sometimes recovers more slowly after a fast the younger person, you know, more quickly. People that have been ravaged by a long history of medication and medical treatments that may have really ravaged them, you know, there may be a slow recovery. So generally speaking, you if you can get into a fasting state of anywhere from three to seven days, it can dramatically reduce inflammation. The work in science that's being done now has shown that repeat fasts of even two to three days have a remarkable impact on a lot of animal models of reducing cancer growth and even reducing the adverse effects of chemotherapy for people that are trying to treat cancers with drug approaches. So even in short fasts, we're seeing some dramatic power. But I think generally speaking, if you can commit to a in an institution even to a five- to seven-day fast, it's profound. And if you have a more serious condition – like some of the things you mentioned, rheumatoid arthritis, colitis, you're looking in some cases as long as two to three-week fast to really make a nice dent on those conditions.
2: So someone in a, a practical way, they would maybe go to an institute, do two weeks, and then probably stay there and eat for a while. You're not going to just send them from water fasting one day and put them on an airplane, are you?
4: No, our standard of care is that whenever you fast, we like to keep you for refeeding at least half the amount of time that you fasted. So if you fasted uh, four days, we'd like you to stay six or seven. If you fasted a week, we'd like to keep you at least ten days. If you fast ten days, at least two weeks. Because the refeeding, as you can imagine, uh, can in many ways even make or break what has occurred during the fast. So your point is well made. The, The refeeding phase it's profound. Some people can start by just missing a meal or two at the times that they're not hungry. I mean, if you look at our lives, for many of us, we're on the go, we're on the run. Sometimes we're run down, and too often we equate, you know, uh, fatigue with hunger, which is a huge mis signal. It's a it's a malaprop in a way, because what we need is rest, not food. And I think if you pay attention to those times when you're really not hungry and get a little rest and miss a meal or two at that time, there may not even be the need to do any kind of more extensive fasting. But generally speaking, if someone even were able to take a day or two or three, even on their own, if they were comfortable in their own health patterns or they're comfortable with the things that could come up in terms of headache or discomfort, but I think anything you know that's going to be longer longer than a couple of days, if you haven't done it, you'd probably want to be under someone's supervision because oftentimes in longer fast, we're also doing blood work. We're looking at blood parameters. You know, we do a lot of medical monitoring to ensure that the fast is moving along the way is in the best interest of that person.
2: I have to say you're tempting me because as much as it's not a pleasant experience. I mean, I, I never liked it, but after the first few days you enter into this other state And many strange things happen. One of the things I remember thinking I was going to crave all these rich kinds of foods... And I remember craving steamed broccoli with lemon juice. And Uh, I I was a practicing binge eater at the time. I didn't even eat steamed broccoli with lemon juice, much less crave it. So some really fascinating experiences. So I think when you uh, open your doors down there at the beautiful Ocean Jade Health Retreat, um I just might be knocking on your door. So you've said a word that I think a lot of our listeners are unfamiliar with. You talked about hygiene and hygienic doctors, and there's a history there. That's not a a small H hygiene. It's a capital H. So for people who aren't familiar with that, fill us in.
4: Well, hygiene is a movement that actually was set in motion in the 19th century but probably made most famous by the work of the man that you mentioned before, Dr. Herbert Shelton. And basically, it was the idea that there are basic biological requirements for all human beings. And they never change, and they haven't changed since the beginning of time. And they center around, you know, nutrition, food. They center around rest. They center around emotional poise. They center around physical activity, sunshine, fresh air, and, of course, are social interactions, which are important for human beings. So all of these things are seen as basic biological necessities. And the fact of the matter is, in hygiene, it was always seen that the way that you appropriate these hygienic factors will dictate how essentially healthy you are. And the more you deviate from those factors, the more you have a chance of being or having a lack of ease, which we call dis-ease. So the idea was that disease was not an entity, was not a thing to be attacked and fought against. It was just something that developed because of a natural imbalance in the way we appropriated the basic conditions of natural living. And so that movement... Led to, the, led to certain doctors adopting those principles, bringing them into practice, and it turned out that most of the doctors that went into the fasting field were doctors that were students of that work of, of Shelton and, and the work that was laid down from the 19th century, but frankly go back to the beginning of man. They are the things that have always been the basic requirements of healthy living.
2: And Hippocrates, I think, even wrote about it.
4: Hippocrates wrote about it, and there there were many, Paracelsus, Hippocrates, there are many people across the history of all, all the great civilizations. You had thinkers that talked about these simple approaches and choices, because the truth is they've never really changed. No matter how hectic we get, no matter how much we move into an information age, the fact of the matter is the basic biological requirements still are exactly the same and always will be the same. We need to make a little bit of a better effort in modern times because so much pulls us outside of ourselves. We need to make a stronger effort to really get back to a more basic, fundamental, and natural way so that we see the importance of these simple things. For example, in our culture, if we need rest, instead of typically getting it, most people will vie for some stimulant, So it gets them through that little dialogue that the body was having with them telling them to rest. And the more you pay less and less attention to the natural dialogue with your own body, the greater is the chance for disease and breakdown.
2: It makes so much sense. And and for our listeners who are vegan and who are familiar with a lot of ideas about uh, vegan health and nutrition, but this may be the first you've heard about water-only fasting. Uh, A physician with whom you are familiar, Dr. Joel Fuhrman, uh, came from this hygienic um, tradition as well. He wrote a book called Fasting and Eating for Health. So um, there's more to this than one might think. (laughs)
4: The point you make is important, though. If you are going to fast, all of the fasting physicians, bar none, all recommend following that up with a plant-based vegan lifestyle. And that is really critical to any benefit that comes from fasting because the truth of the matter is the way most people eat, the excesses of animal proteins, dairy products, refined sugars, and saturated fats lay the groundwork for inflammation that is at the root of most of the degenerative diseases that we suffer with. And while fasting can help us eliminate that inflammatory process or at least control it and recover from it, if we go back to living and eating in ways that promoted it to begin with, we're only going to create the same things over and over again.
2: So what happens, Dr. Frank? Let's say in a couple of months, you're open down there at Ocean Jade Health Retreat in Lauderdale by the Sea, which sounds just heavenly and idyllic. Um, I show up at your door. Mm-hmm. what happens walk me through it well
4: what's going to well first of all you're going to sit down with me and we're going to go over kind of in depth what your goals and interests and and, and issues are i mean we're going to probably have a demographic of people that come in in some cases for example just maybe to lose a few pounds there'll be other people coming in just to want to have a healthy vacation and there'll be other people coming in potentially with very serious diseases and problems so you know, You know, we have to address all three of those. We're going to probably have, I I feel, the best vegan food supply in the country, all organic, top-notch, best available. So there'll be people coming just to eat there and experience, you know, what our chef is going to do with raw and cooked vegan cuisine. There'll be other people coming that I will have to go through a very in-depth process to decide Are they candidates for fasting? And they may fast. There are some people that may want a more gentler detox in their mind, and they may do some juices and green smoothies and things of that kind. So I would sit down with you and go over what is it that you're trying to accomplish and how can we best help you achieve those goals.
2: And so let's just say you said, okay, water fasting is for you. Then what happens?
4: I say, Vicki, you got a water fast. No way Uh around (laughs) it. So we're going to take all food away. Now, what I may do is I may, depending on how you've been living and eating before you got there, we may put you on a a little regimen to ease you into the fast. So, for example, if you were eating trashy and all kinds of garbage, refined stuff, and a lot of caffeine, alcohol, whatever, whatever the case may be, we may decide to just put you on a nice, beautiful, you know, fruit and vegetable-based, plant-based approach, low in salt, oil, sugar, feed you for a few days, maybe even juice you for a day or two, and ease you into a water fasting state. Now, depending on if you had time. If you don't have the time, we have people that we will jump right in, but sometimes the detoxification is a little bit more of a struggle and a little bit more, you know, discomforting. Mm.
2: Now, at a lot of places where they do something similar to what you're talking about, they also do things like, enemas and colonics and wheatgrass implants you don't do that why not
4: yeah you know many years ago in one of the principles that dr shelton wrote about he wrote about the was something he called the law of dual effect you know whatever goes up has to come down that's why when you have low energy if you stimulate with caffeine it only reinforces even more subsequent exhaustion what we discovered was that many times when there were a lot of enemas colonics things of that nature The return to normal bowel movement after the fast was significantly slower. It was as if the bowel function had been suppressed by stimulating it with those procedures. Now, I will say that the enemas in the old days used to be much more high pressure. Now they're more, you know, gravity feed, tilted tables. So it's not as profound. But we leave the biological functioning of the body to itself. You know, we lose sight of the fact of how wise and intelligent the system really is. And this is very important. Because the bottom line is the biggest thing about hygiene it's it's the intelligent art of doing nothing intelligently, basically. You're understanding that there is a wisdom in the body knowing what needs to be done, what functions need to be regulated and and put through. And so we, we just put the body in a place where we're conserving maximum energy and then let the innate intelligence and wisdom of the body express itself. And in fasting, we see this remarkably because what we see in fasting, is that the body will utilize everything that it needs least to provide support for what it needs most. So it's no mystery why we see the body breaking down tumors and cysts and stones and things of this nature, taking from them what it can to support organs like the heart, liver, kidney. In a fast, you never see tissue in the liver or the brain or the heart being damaged or changed. All of that is protected in this incredible wise umbrella of the intelligence of the system as it does everything it can to protect what it needs most by utilizing what it needs least. So if I have a woman with an ovarian or let's say a a fibroid tumor in the uterus and we see a remarkable shrinkage of that in let's say 7 to 10 days of fasting, the uterus is protected but the tumor is reduced and shrunk. So the body in this autolysis, this autolysis, this self-digestion takes what it can to feed all of these instrumental important organs while getting rid of the things that it needs least. That's a profound, very wise approach of this system.
2: It is indeed. So very quickly, just in in our last minute, and also listeners, um, Dr. Sabatino's website for the new retreat for fasting, healing, eating, all of the above, OceanJadeRetreat.com. I'll put that in the show notes as well. So when a person stops fasting, what do they eat? Uh,
4: In a <laughs> typically the refeeding is we start with diluted juices usually fruit and then vegetable juices then full strength juices then depending on if there are any allergies or sensitivities that they've had we may go into melons and simple fruits and then simple fruits and vegetables and then the last phase would be cooked material so there's a whole process of refeeding that starts with diluted juices typically first but that also depends on the length of the fast
2: Okay, you're bringing back so many memories. I remember coming back from a fast once and having some raw cabbage and feeling like I had just swallowed the ocean. Because that piece of cabbage (laughs) tasted so salty, my taste buds had gotten so That's an important thing for
4: people with food addictions, because your sensitivity to taste gets so incredibly enhanced that the simplest things, you start to appreciate the flavors and the beauty and the simplest foods, and it's how you break the connection with a lot of adulterated processed stuff.
2: And so many of us need to do that. Dr. Frank, you are the real deal. In all honesty, listeners, if you're looking for something like this, do go to OceanJadeRetreat.com. Give him a call. I, 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 he'll talk to you. Um, you're just wonderful, and I'm so glad that you're in the world. So do check out Ocean Jade Health Retreat. Dr. Frank Sabatino. Remember, Isosa, RawGirlToxicWorld.com. Everybody will be in the show notes. And until we meet again, God bless you. And when you're not fasting, eat your veggies.
1: Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains.
0: Life calls upon us to be open to new ideas, new creative ways of thinking, and new ways of doing things. All of the positive changes in our world have been the result of open-minded people looking at some aspect of their world in a whole new way. You can have a more exciting life filled with wonder and glory when you keep an open mind about the new and unusual things that come your way and when you take a new look at what you thought were life's ordinary experiences. Just like the turtle who won't get anywhere in life without sticking its neck out a little, we get a lot further in life by sticking our mental neck out a little every day. You can be open to the changes in your world by starting with your own thoughts. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org.
1: I will leave this world as it is. The world is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, The Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find my God.
4: Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show.